0: City Church, everyone. How are we doing today? Doing good, feeling good, I hope. I want to give a big shout out to everybody watching online right now. You guys know we have over 100 people tuning in on all different platforms, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Roku app, so many different ways to view. So give a hand to everybody watching online right now, tuning in. At Hope City today. We do believe that Hope City at home is an extension of our church and you right now are having church at home and that's exactly where God needs you to be. Maybe sitting in your couch, maybe in your bed with your laptop on, maybe you're driving, listening to this. Um, Please do not close your eyes to pray if you are driving. Just listen today. Amen. My name is Megan Gardner. If you don't know me, my husband, Pastor Jono, and I are associate pastors, one of many here at Hope City Church, and blessed, honored to be here today getting to speak to you. Really quick, before we get into the message today, which I'm very excited about, I want to give a hand to our media team really quick, our production team, the band, and everybody. Give them a big, big, big shout out today. Today. See this beautiful, lovely screen behind me? Um was not working this morning, and I feel like um, a lot of times church, you know, we just see the person holding the microphone up up front, you know, we see the band, but there are so many people, volunteers making this happen, um, making online church happen, making, you know, kids church happen, so many people that dedicate their time weekly, and um, today was a test of their ability, and man, this team at Hope City Church is amazing, putting their faith and trust in each other, not only just in Jesus, but working well as a team together, and that's just a great testament of our leadership here, so give them one more hand. Yes. They did a great job. Wonderful. All right. Again, my name is Megan. And um, every time I get to preach here at Hope City Church, they're like, they keep asking you to preach. Why? And I'm like, it's because I don't say no. I just keep saying yes. But I love it. I absolutely do. And the title of my message today that I'm very excited about is called Love Isn't What You Thought. So somebody turn to your neighbor, somebody at home, and say, Love Isn't What You Thought. Mm mm, mm mm. It's gonna be a good man. I also want to start out today with defining a word for you, everybody. Turn to your favorite neighbor and say the word Christian. Christian. Mm. You guys are so vocal this morning. It feels so great. Christian. Have you ever wondered what it really means to be a Christian? Have you ever wondered how the world views Christians like you and me who put our faith and believing in Jesus? What do they think about us? Have you ever wondered that? We just got out of a five-week series here at Hope City Church called Truish. How I many of you enjoyed this series that we just had five whole weeks where Pastor Jason really took time to look at our beliefs, really took time to look at the Bible and Scripture and talk about what do we believe, not just what we grew up believing or what culture has made us believe. But what as Christians does the Bible say and what do we follow as Christians? So we took about five weeks, debunked a lot of those things that we just, you know, kind of grew up knowing. We really read the Bible and figured out what does the Bible say about those things and why do we believe them? We took a lot of time learning that, but I want to take today and talk about not just what Christians believe, but what does a Christian actually do? Physically, in action, what does a Christian do and how does that look to the world? So, in preparation for this message today, I polled some of my friends, and I've got a lot, so I went through my phone and had a huge text message list, but I polled some of my friends and I asked them simply this question, what does a Christian do? So the first group were non-Christians. So people in my life that I know do not follow Jesus you know, they're not necessarily atheists that don't believe in God, but they're on all walks of life, but that I would consider a non-Christian. So I asked them first, what does a Christian do? And I got some awesome responses. What does a Christian do? A Christian doesn't cuss. A Christian doesn't watch rated R movies. Christian doesn't drink. And a Christian gets married young. I can't necessarily say that's wrong in my case because it is, and I'm pretty sure for your pastor's case that was true too. A lot of Christians get married young. But those are the kind of responses that I got from non-Christians about what does a Christian do? And so, on the opposite end, I pulled Christians and asked them the exact same question. So people in my life who I know for a fact believe in Jesus, follow his teachings, read the Bible, they're dedicated in churches, I asked them, What does a Christian do? And I got some amazing answers as well. Christians love and accept Jesus and share Jesus Christ with others. Christians are, they're being best friends with Jesus and then being that friend to everyone else. That's what a Christian does. They follow God's word and love people unconditionally. Love Jesus and love people. So what's interesting about this is pretty much all the Christians have the same exact answer in some way or another. They pretty much said what the Bible says in 1 John 4.21, which is our greatest commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love Jesus and love people. It's what a Christian does, right? Well, what's so interesting to me is that even if we as Christians know that we are to love people, non-Christians rarely notice us by our love, rarely. And so I had to ask that question to God, why is that? Why if we know we are to love people, that's the greatest commandment that God has given us in the Bible, is it so dang hard? Can I get an amen? It is so hard. Why? Why God? And so I come up with a few, you know, th- maybe, maybe a few reasons why. Maybe one reason is you weren't Christian your whole life. Maybe you are a new Christian. Maybe you're 40, 50, 60 years old and this is a new, th- new thing to you. And so you're having to retrain yourself uh, and, and retrain your brain and, and your emotions on how to think and how to act based, based on Jesus. Maybe that's true. One reason might be I am a Christian, but I just really don't get along with people. I don't like them. I don't like being around people. I don't even like parties. I always say no to those things. Like I, I get along with maybe two or three people in my life, but I just, I don't care to know people. I don't care to love people. I just don't care enough about people. You might be honest and say that today. But I really think It's because we say we follow Jesus and his love, and we want to love others, but we want to love others the way we think we should love others. And this is where the translation gets a little bit muddy. And that's what I want to talk about today, the difference between the way I love someone and the way Jesus loves someone. I want to talk about what it looks like to show love as a Christian. It's important to know that when we give our hearts to Jesus, something about what we do and who we are should change. There is transforming power in God's spirit that when we raise our hand in church and we ask God to be the savior and Lord of our lives, we are now ultimately asking him, take control of who I love, what I know to be true, and what I do. So we call Jesus Lord. We say this all the time. Lord Jesus, Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord. And I hear this a lot. But Lord is really just a title that we give God. And it's another name for master. It's kind of weird like thinking about, yes, we know God's our father, but is God our master? I want to define that for you today. Master is, listen to this, a man who has people working for him especially servants or even slaves, a master. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship. Someone say workmanship. workmanship. Not sitmanship, not hatemanship. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good, everyone say works, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But see, we don't work for us. We work for our master and our Lord, Jesus Christ. So there's the question. How does Jesus want us to love? I know how I want to love. I know how the world wants me to love. But how does Jesus want us to love? Because when we accept the reality of the cross and what Jesus has done for our lives, forgiven us, accepted us, wiped our sin clean so now we may get to heaven we also accept the responsibility that he's given us to now love others the way he loved us. So it's a clean slate. And in exchange for my clean slate, now God puts the responsibility on me and you as a Christian to love other people with these standards, new standards. I believe this is important because I believe wholeheartedly that a heart changed by Jesus shows love like Jesus write that down you can highlight it you can take that note that's what we're talking about today a heart 100% radically changed by Jesus should look different should love like Jesus loves so when the world looks at you and me they shouldn't know us by our bank account they shouldn't know us by our political affiliations they shouldn't know us just by our empathy oh they have a little bit of compassion okay they shouldn't know us by our abilities On stage, we sing great, we we love to command a crowd, they should know us by our love. And I believe that Jesus spoke directly to that, and I want us to look at that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John, which is one of the Gospels in the New Testament. John chapter 13, verse 34 through 36, and we're going to talk about that today. How many of you have two tassels in your Bible? Anybody? Or just one? Just me? Okay. I pull two tassels all the time and it's not the wrong scripture, and then I'm like, I hope they don't know it's the wrong scripture, and then I go back. Okay, it's the right scripture this time. First tassel, everybody. Mark your Bible, first tassel. John, let's start at verse 34. Read along with me. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for, number, for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It will prove to the world. So somebody say, that's your proof. Right there. That's your proof. Here's a good analogy for you. Any of you uh, teachers in the room? Teachers, Mm mm-hmm, blessed are the teachers. You ever have to explain to a student how to show their work? Because they just want to punch something in the calculator and say that's the answer. No, no, we have to show our work. Let's prove that we actually know what I've been teaching you for the past five weeks, six weeks. Prove your work. This scripture is us as Christians proving that the love of Jesus is inside of us. Loving one another is proving to the world that I am radically changed by this man and what he has done in my life. So it shouldn't look the way we just think it should. It should look the way Jesus said it should. So that begs the question, what does loving like Jesus look like? So let's look at that today. Loving Jesus looks like compassion. Compassion. I say compassion and a lot of you already think, Okay, I could probably do that. Maybe you're in the category where you know you, you had you had this entire life and you just recently came to know Jesus. Maybe you're you know older on in your life and you're like, I think I've been a pretty compassionate person. Jesus's compassion is different than the world's compassion. It is. In Luke chapter seven, it says, soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was, listen to this, a widow's only son. And a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart was overwhelmed with compassion. Don't cry, he said, then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus' heart overflowed with compassion at this widow's son's funeral. Compassion is defined as sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Not for the sufferings or misfortune of ourselves, which it's easy to think about and dwell about nine out of the ten times that I have a thought of the day. My sufferings. Just take a look at how much we pray. Do we ask God for things that benefit us or others? How much of our time is spent thinking about others? How much pity do we really have when we look at other people's suffering? Because we see it every single day. And my challenge to you would be to not walk past someone without seeing that suffering the way Jesus sees it. Jesus, all God and all human, understood our suffering and his pain, so he knows. His heart overflowed with compassion. And that is my question here today. When is the last time our heart overflowed for anything other than ourselves? Christmas list is already coming up. How big is that list for our loved ones, our family, our agenda? And how much of it is for another person? We say we love, love, love other people. I love other people. Well, I love other people when it's convenient for me. But when is our compassion overflowing? When is the last time we went to a funeral and didn't just say, oh, that's so, so sad. And just, can I get out of here, please? Because it's awkward and everyone's crying. But really have a heart that is broken for someone else's suffering. We see people struggling with sin. We see people battling addictions. We hear about them losing their custody battles, fighting cancer, losing their jobs, losing their houses. And we say, well, I'll be praying for you. And then we never think about them again. But Jesus in this moment was overwhelmed by so much compassion that he acted so it's not just a feeling and an emotion that we have, but there's a workmanship to what we are called to do, a physical ability. I can feel sorry for someone who lost their son, but it's different when I feel sorry for them, and I am at that funeral, and I am hugging them, and I am crying with them, and I know, I say, I know that you lost your son. I have never lost a son, but I know it must be so difficult for you. I will be here for you, whatever you need. Can I make you a meal can I, can I follow up with you in a month? Overwhelmed with compassion. So I have a few questions for you that you can digest. Putting our love to work. Here's one that you can ask yourself, maybe at the beginning of your week, maybe at the beginning of your day. Who is less fortunate than me that I could help financially? Compassion. Who has recently lost a loved one that I could call? Compassion. Who has an appointment coming up that I could be at? Compassion. So that's number one. Loving Jesus also looks like. Number two, forgiveness. This is my favorite one. Because this one looks the most foreign to the world. Forgiveness is not something we teach in school. It is not. What the world says is, you get in what you get out. I'm only going to forgive someone if they're willing to forgive me. See, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 29, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, have you ever been slapped by someone? That's the last thing on my mind. Turn the other cheek. Give them the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. See, we like to think this is hypothetical, but this is also a physical thing. Forgiveness is physical. We feel anger in our body. We feel forgiveness in our body, too. It's the most foreign to everybody. If you hurt my family, I'm done with you. If you offend me, I get to yell at you and tell you that you did. But a heart changed by Jesus. If you hurt me, I... Forgive you. And the reason why I know that God knows this is because there is nothing I can do to be good and God has forgiven me. God has forgiven every sin, past, present, and future in my life. So if God has changed me and changed my heart, then I want to show that forgiveness to others as well. And that will be the proof that the Lord is working in your life. I know it's unfortunate, but a side effect of being human is being hurt. This is what happens. And I really feel like we don't teach enough how to forgive someone. What are the things that I should say? What are the things that I should do to walk through forgiveness for someone? Because sometimes it's easy, depending upon the situation. Sometimes it's just a, an attitude change, it's a simple verbiage. But other times, walking forgiveness out takes a very long time. And it takes God's help, it takes patience, and it takes practice. We've got to start letting it go. Loving Jesus and forgiveness not only means letting go of feelings of resentment, but it also means letting go of the record of resentment too. And I think that's a very important thing to say. We want to, okay, I forgive you a little. I forgive you. And then a year later, When something similar happens again, immediately in our mind, we are reminded of the last time they did it. That's not true forgiveness. Because just like what Jesus did for us, it is the evidence clearly of the cross that once you are forgiven, all is gone, all is good. So that's a good question for you to ask yourself. Have I truly forgiven this person? Because as you're sitting and you're listening to me today, I know you are struggling and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about that one person, or maybe many, that you need to forgive. And so when you think about them, here's my question to you. Is it feelings of relief or is it still feelings of anger? that is how you truly know if you have forgiven someone. Can you talk about them and the situation without resentment coming up? Without hatred coming back up? Ephesians 4:32 says, "Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you." So ask yourself this question, who has wronged me that I need to forgive? Who, when I say their name, makes me feel angered? How can I speak to them without accusation and without condemnation? Loving Jesus looks like forgiveness. The last one today. Loving Jesus looks like sacrifice. Personally, this one's the hardest for me. I'm gonna read my favorite favorite Bible verse which is John 3.16 and you all can say it along with me in your head if you want to because different versions quote it different. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Sacrifice means to give to give something up something you don't necessarily want to. That is sacrificial love. And again, even when I teach my kids to love someone, rarely does the word sacrifice come across my dialogue. Because even in my brain as a mom, I tell them, oh, if they were mean, I'm so sorry if they were mean to you, honey, just don't don't hang out with them anymore. You know, they're just going to be mean. You know, if the teacher's not going to help out with you, like, just just don't worry about it. Forgive them. Let's let's move on. But sacrifice goes one step further. Yes, I might have have compassion on someone hurting. Yes, I might have forgiven someone. But sacrifice means I don't want to blank, but I will because I love you. I don't want to meet you for coffee because you hurt me in the past. But I will, because I love you. And this looks different for everyone. And I know that's my example, because that's what I'm going through right now. But sacrificial love looks completely different for me than it might you. You might give way more of your time, of your energy, of your money in certain situations to certain things than I might. But we all know what sacrificial love from Jesus looks like. It looks like a man on a cross, who did not want to die. He said, Father, please, please let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your be done. I don't want to do this. It does not feel good. I am not physically able, but I will because I love you. Sacrificial love. So what would that look like for you? Maybe your sacrificial love is putting your spouse and their feelings in front of yours. I don't want to, but I will because I love you. Did you know that you're the evidence of God's love in your spouse's life too? Maybe it means supporting someone financially who you know will be a burden to you and your family. I don't want to, but I will because I love you. Maybe it means taking care of someone elderly, and you know you're not getting anything back from that relationship. I don't want to, but I will, because I love you. So what is God asking you to do that you keep making excuses for? Because that's how you know it would be a sacrificial love. You feel God tugging to do a certain thing. Maybe it's a hard conversation with somebody. Or maybe it's an act that you really just don't want to do. I feel God telling me to give more to the church, but I just can't financially right now. Well, that's a sacrificial gift. It goes above and beyond what you are capable of doing. And that is the evidence that other people look on us and say, wow, something is different about that person because I know I would never be able to do something like that, but they did. What's up with them? They've got something different about them. Maybe sharing the gospel is something that is sacrificial for you. Getting out of your comfort zone and talking to someone about what Jesus has done in your life. I know this is hard for me, Because really, I just want to sit at home when I'm not at church, and I just want to work, and I just want to hang out with my family, and I don't necessarily want to be inconvenienced throughout my day. But sacrificial love means being aware other people have needs, other people are lost, other people need Jesus, not just me and my family. And so this last week, I prayed and I wrestled with this, because what I want more than anything else it's for my lost loved ones to know Jesus. And I know you have some that do too. And so I prayed to God. And I was like, God, all I just want is for someone in another state to just speak to my brother, to just speak to my dad, to just talk to them, to invite them to church. I just want them to get a hold of you because I know your love is so amazing. But you want to know what God said to me back? He asked me a question. He said, Megan, do you love your neighbor? And I said, like my real neighbor, God, (laughs) like physically? He said, yeah. Do you love your neighbor? And I said, I mean, I don't even know my neighbor, but yeah, I guess. Like I I would love them if I needed to love them. And he said, well, your neighbor is someone else's dad. And they've been praying to me. That somebody would just go to them and get to know them and invite them to church. And I am sitting here like I would rather be at my house chilling with pizza on Netflix. Like I don't want to go talk to somebody about Jesus because it would be an inconvenience to me. Like it's easy when it's natural. But God is asking us to go out of our way because there are lost people who need us to work for God. And I believe that scripture with my whole, whole heart, that we are his workmanship, created, created for God's good work in other people's lives. A heart changed by Jesus will show love the way Jesus will, even if it's inconvenient. Even if I don't have that much compassion for other people, God can develop it in us. Even if I have a hard time forgiving someone, God can develop it in me. And that's my good news to you today. Is it if you're sitting here and you're like, "I, I don't do much of this very well, Megan, that's okay. Me either. The good news is the more we seek God and pray and ask for him, the more his spirit and fruit will show up in our lives. See, God is not here asking you to perform better. Oh, you should have more love. You should have more forgiveness. You should have more compassion. Shame on you if you don't. That's not what God is saying, and that's not what I am either. All God is asking is for you to lay down your life and seek more of him, and the fruit will come. The evidence will come. The compassion will come. You'll turn around two years from now and be like, wow, there are people living in my house, and I hated people before. That's what a heart changed by Jesus does. Changes the way you look, changes the way you act, and changes the amount of love that you show. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for my life. I thank you for the power Of your spirit working in me and filling in the gap between what I make excuses to do and what you want me to do. God, I pray for your conviction in the hearts of everyone today. God, because we hear you, we hear your direction, we hear your instruction. And even if it's difficult and it pulls us out of what's comfortable, God, I pray we see people through your eyes. God, I pray you give us more opportunities to inconvenience us because that means it's more opportunities to share your love with this world. I love you so much, God. God, and I pray that people here who are listening to this, who feel a pull and a tug to know more about you, God, would answer that call today because your radical love in our lives is the best gift we could have ever been given. And I pray pray that everyone receives it today. In Jesus' name, amen.